locked away in attics, basements, and dark corners across the world are stories of beings and beasts that hide in the night. These are those stories. This is the Sleepless in Suburbia podcast. I'm Brooke, case manager for our team, and this is the audio recap for case 124, Nomad's Wood. A couple of quick housekeeping things before we dig into this week's case. First, we are literally up to our eyeballs in stickers because I'm a sucker for a bargain deal. I ordered like 3,000 stickers or something. It would be great if you'd help me find these adorable creations a new home. To get your very own for free stickers in the mail, all you have to do is rate and review us on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. Take a screenshot and email it to hello at sleeplessinsuburbia.com. Include your mailing address. It's that easy. We'll get some in the mail to you. Second, if you'd like to support the show, we have some exclusive set up for our patrons on Patreon. There are four different support levels to choose from, with some of the exclusive stuff being scary stories written about you and a cryptid on a monthly bonus episode, and even good vibes bracelets. If you want to check it out, head over to sleeplessinsuburbia.com and click the Patreon tab. All right, housekeeping over. Let's kick off case 124, Nomad's Wood, and it starts on a very unsuspecting day. No, I said, looking back and forth between Claire and Lowe as we made our way around the walking path through our favorite park. It was a gorgeous day. The sun floated along lazily in the sky. Children squealed happily as they got pushed higher on the swings. Geese honked at one another around the tiny paddleboard lake and my friends were about to mental ninja me into the woods again. Claire checked her fitness tracker before plastering on her most, but Brooke, smile. I think you know that smile because every friend has one specifically for you. It's the one they use when they really think you should give something a try or step out of your comfort zone, but they know you're a total chicken little and will resist until they bend your will. If you're sitting there thinking, nah, nope, my friends don't have a look like that for me. Hogwash. You just haven't pinpointed the look yet, but it's there. You went into the woods a couple weeks ago and nothing happened, Claire said. You investigated. You came out. No tragedy. No crying children. Nothing happened, except what we all went there to do. A headless ghost basically broke my leg by chucking a boulder at me, I said, wincing at the memory. Aren't we being a touch dramatic, Lo asked after a long drink from her water bottle. Was I dramatic? Maybe. Okay, probably. The knot inflicted from case 123's ghost was almost totally healed. But there were a few painful days of ice and leg elevation. If you haven't heard about my ghost encounter in the foothills, now's a great time to hop back to last week's episode. We'll still be here strolling around the trail when you get back. He pelted me repeatedly with rocks. That's what happens when you camp or wander all willy-nilly into the woods, I said. Okay, so you got hit with a couple of rocks, Claire said. But did you die? I'm going to remember this the next time you bang on my door in the middle of the night because a hellhound is chasing you through your house, I mumbled. An email had brought us to this point. An email from Connor Colby, a history teacher from the Boot Heel, to be exact. Here's his email and maybe you can guess why this society disagreement went down. Subject line. My research has brought me to you. Email. My name is Connor Colby. 
I teach high school history, and one of our class projects led me to you. Each semester, my classes have a large project they work on for the entire semester in lieu of a final exam. At the core, the final project is in-depth research encapsulated in a 15-page paper and 20-minute classroom presentation. The subject matter is always broad, allowing the student to find something of interest and it changes each semester. Last semester, the topic was local history and lore, with the stipulation that at least three of their sources come from places other than books and the internet. I decided to tackle this semester's project alongside them to learn more about our local boot heel culture. My students loved it. What started as camaraderie in the classroom has evolved into a borderline obsession. The woods, nomads wood, the sightings, happenings, unexplained experiences. The history reads more like a Stephen King novel. I'm in deep, and I think my research follows me home from hours wandering the woods searching for it, for them. I need your help sifting through my research and sorting out my encounters. I'm either onto a colossal discovery or teetering on the edge of madness. Regards, Connor Colby. They wanted to drag me back to the woods, but not to a specific location like a campground or hideaway. This was the definition of wooded wilderness. Us, some maps, a compass I still had no clue how to use, and a history teacher. It was the making of a straight-to-Netflix horror movie. Horror movies begin with people traipsing into the woods searching for legends. I quipped, dodging a little girl who zagged around us on her bicycle, her mother jogging after her with an apology. It's okay. I waved to the brunette mom looking workout fab in her Lululemon leggings. If we're going to be a horror movie's inspiration, then let's give them something to write about, Lowe said. Property Details Nomad's Wood is a vast conservation area nestled in the boot heel. It's 1,443 sprawling acres of various terrains. 1,210 acres are lowland forest containing a mix of willow oak, water oak, water locust, sweet gum, and cypress trees. 195 acres are fields with various indigenous grasses and wildflowers. The last 44 acres found on portions of the south and west border surprised me. These acres comprised a swampland. I've lived in this region most of my life, and I had no idea we had swamps. The wildlife in such a vast preserved area would likely be plentiful. We'd be dealing with deer, mole salamanders, and alligators. All right, all right. For real, bite-your-arm-off alligators probably didn't come this far north but we'd have alligator gar and snapping turtles to contend with. Snapping turtles are nothing to laugh at. I was bit on the butt by one while swimming in a lake about 10 years ago. That's a whole other story, but I can tell you it hurt. A few snakes were common in the boot heel. One of the most prevalent, the western mud snake. Ford was raised on a farm, so she didn't need me to tell her that snakes hung out in nature but I opted not to fill her in on this potential addition to our investigative team. However, I did consult my good friend Mr. Google to confirm that though they can reach lengths of 54 inches, that's over 4 feet, these black and red snakes are not poisonous. But they are nocturnal, so we had the chance of running into our fair share of them. Once inside the conservation land, you're going to find a whole lot of nothing as far as hints of civilization. 
On the northern edge of the property is a parking lot flanked on three sides by a total of six picnic shelters and one public restroom. This edge of the wood borders Mitzcrown, where our contact Connor lives. Past the parking lot and picnic shelters, there's very little human-made. You won't find trailheads marked with signs and maps. Instead, through the dense trees that work as a natural blind, blocking a clear view into the woods, is a single archway between a handful of gnarled, twisted trees. It's a small passage, only accessible to one person at a time. And at 5-3, I'd have to duck to make it through the opening. Inside the blind, you were self-navigating. There aren't any designated trails or signage. Team Update Lowe and Lark hosted an epic three-girl sleepover for Maggie's half-birthday. One of Lowe's many extraordinary qualities, when she celebrates, she celebrates epically. There were vegan cupcakes, sherbet, Twizzlers, and gluten-free pizza. They spent the night painting nails, making pastel-colored popcorn balls, and watching Sister Sister on Netflix. I'm not sure who had more fun, the little girls or the big girls. I'm a little jealous I missed out. I was sleepwalking. People from beyond the veil were visiting me when I did sleep, and I grew increasingly edgy. Not so much snapping at everyone edgy, but a constant state of anxiety above my average level kind of edgy. A dear friend, Lauren, suggested we sneak away for a short yoga retreat. Ten women in the country practicing yoga, eating vegan food, and drinking delicious wine by a lake. She didn't have to ask me twice. I figured at the very least, the change in locale may confuse the late-night spirit callers. Claire, Jeremy, and Dean spent a weekend in a tiny lakeside cabin four hours away. A spontaneous trip, suggested by Jeremy, to help Claire unwind a little from the stress of starting her new job and aid Dean in unplugging from his teenage addiction to all things electronic. A short little family getaway to refresh and recharge. They walked through the small lakeside town, eating ice cream and acting like tourists. As the sun began to set, they headed out on the boat to watch the sunset over the water and stargaze. Back at the cabin, Claire made a couple of frozen pizzas, and they all curled up under blankets to watch a movie. After everyone went to bed, Claire, unable to sleep, decided to head back to the living room to read for a while. Glancing out the window overlooking the lake, her attention fell on the dock. Illuminated by the single dock light was a woman. Setting her book on the side table, Claire pulled back the sheer lace curtain and peered out just above the window ledge. She wanted a better view but not to draw attention to the fact she was watching. The woman had long, dark hair, and she paced the link of the dock in a pale dress or nightgown. Every so often, the woman stopped, dropping to her knees to peer into the water. Then she'd climb back to her feet and continue pacing. Claire grew increasingly concerned that the woman was lost or maybe confused. She decided to grab her phone and head down to the dock to offer the woman some help. The night air had a slight chill to it, causing Claire to pull her zip-up hoodie tighter around herself. How was the woman in just a dress without freezing? Claire was halfway to the dock across the dimly lit backyard when the woman dropped to her knees again. This time, she leaned forward towards the water, her body toppling forward. Claire called out, beginning to jog, but before the splash, before the woman touched the water, she vanished. Claire stopped in her tracks. Then, 
She sprinted towards the water. Standing over where the woman fell, there were no ripples, no bubbles. No one was there. She sent me the following text. Claire, can ghost people swim? Yep, can ghost people swim is what I woke up to on the second morning of a small yoga retreat. My response back to her. Me. I guess it depends if they could swim in their physical life. Prue has started her own baking outlet to handle the stress with the chaos that is this school year. Thankfully, unlike Claire's baking, these treats won't force me into bigger pants. Prue's culinary focus? Dog treats. So far, she sent apollos, peanut butter banana bars, and carrot pupcakes home to Champion and Lainey. And I will admit, the pupcakes smelled so good, I was briefly tempted to try just a nibble. And finally, welcome to this week's installment of Ford's Crystals Corner. If you don't have an amethyst stone, you should consider investing in one, especially if you could use a little de-stressing in your life. Its calming qualities can help smooth out emotional highs and lows. Some believe that having this stone nearby during bedtime will help you sleep and experience lucid dreams. I actually carry a small piece of amethyst in my pocket when I know I will be in an emotionally charged state to help keep my energy even. Plus, you can't beat the gorgeous purple hues. And that concludes this week's Crystal's Corner with Ford. Historical Society Research, On-Site Interview Recap, and Combining Forces with Connor. Case 124 is a hefty case with a lot of history, haunts, and encounters to sift through. So our format is going to be a bit different for this case. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's swamp gas. Over those trees, Connor pointed west over the swamp, is where the first UFO was seen and reported to the Monroe County Sheriff's Office in 1962. Fall 1962. Waylon Myers, 18, and his girlfriend Patricia Alcott, 17, came to Nomad's Wood for a picnic. They found a spot in a clearing in the southwest edge of the wood. Laying together looking up at the stars overhead, Patricia noticed one of the stars grew larger and larger. As she pointed it out to Waylon, the star began to pulsate color, switching between blue and then yellow strobing light. The couple set up, captivated by the broad sphere of flashing light hovering over the swamp. Suddenly, a bright beam of iridescence shot down from the sphere, lighting up the murky water beneath it. Charred leaves sprinkled down onto the water. Slowly, the beam of light moved towards Waylon and Patricia. Frightened, the couple grabbed only their flashlights and began running through the woods towards Waylon's parked Chevy Impala. Weaving through the woods, the beam of light moving more quickly trailed just behind them. The air smelled like singed earth. Patricia would later compare it to the smell of the prescribed burns at her grandparents' farm. Overhead, the sphere hovered just above the trees, filling the night air with a low hum. Moving too quickly, a root twisting up from the earth caught Waylon's foot. He fell, momentarily stunned. The iridescent beam grazed his exposed ankle. Patricia grabbed Waylon beneath his arms before the beam could run up more of his body, and the two continued running. Once in the car, Waylon floored it towards the sheriff's office. The sphere continued its pursuit. Something hit the Chevy's roof over and over again. Boom! Boom! Patricia ducked down in the passenger seat, covering her head, 
Boom, boom. A bright light engulfed the entire car. Then a turn in the road and the buildings of Mitzcrown became visible. And like a switch being flipped, the blinding light vanished and the banging on the roof stopped. Sitting at the sheriff's office waiting to file a report, Patricia pointed to Wayland's ankle. A pink, sunburned-looking mark showed in a stripe from above his shoe, upward about an inch. Despite looking kind of angry, the burned patch of skin was not painful. A sheriff's deputy took the teen's statement, even documenting the burned skin, but chalked it up to a couple of kids either screwing around or high on the marijuana, or worse, LSD. Though the couple later broke up, Throughout their lives, they insisted that their experience near the swamplands was 100% factual and experienced without the assistance of drugs. When Wayland died in 2015, he still had the pinkish strip of burned-looking skin around his leg. Have there been other UFO or lights-in-the-sky anomaly sightings out here? Ford asked, pulling her red curls up into a ponytail before settling her baseball hat back on top of her head. Yes, Prue and Connor said, speaking over one another, laughing. Prue scanned her notes. Five, six. Lark and I found six detailed UFO sightings while searching online forums and message boards. And I likely have most of the same ones printed from my online research, and I conducted several interviews with residents about their experiences, Connor said. Prue and Lark had met their researching match. Countless residents and people passing through Monroe County have reported strange things happening in the night sky. Those general anomalies include large, brightly colored orbs in the sky, sometimes pulsing green, blue, or yellow, bright spheres of light forming a triangle shape, white and sometimes orange-tinted beams of light from the sky touching down inside the trees of Nomad's Wood, Spheres in the sky at night that are darker than the sky and even have glinting pieces on them resembling stars? Is this an attempt to camouflage a spacecraft? Beams of light are seen coming from the clouds and vanishing into the swamp and woodlands. Here are a couple of documented, unexplained UFO-type experiences near Nomad's Wood. A resident, we'll call him Bob, has requested to conceal his identity for privacy reasons was driving home from work a little after 1 a.m. As he crossed Settler's Bridge, a bright burst of light in the sky caught his attention. He watched as a meteor, bright orange and red, streaked from left to right. The meteor then stopped amid its trajectory over Nomad's Wood, seemingly motionless in the night sky, but growing larger in size. Then, it disappeared. This next possible UFO encounter is a portion of a transcript from one of Connor's interviews with a county resident. Connor, will you please tell me what you saw on the night of July 11th, 1984? Name redacted. Okay, Angie, last name redacted, and I were driving home from the outlet mall. Let's hear it for the boy by Denise Williams had just come on the radio. I remember it so clearly. We just sang the lyric... But he loves me, loves me, loves me. That line always made us laugh. But Angie didn't keep singing. Her eyes were glued to the rearview mirror. Connor. Angie was driving? Name redacted. Yes. Connor. What happened next? Name redacted. I looked at her when she didn't sing the next lyric with me. 
Then I turned around in the seat to see what she was looking at. Connor, what did you see? Name redacted. A big tube of light beamed down from the sky, lighting up the road behind us like a spotlight. Then, it's like it sprang to life, flying up the road after us. Connor, the light? Name redacted. Yes. We were driving, I don't know, 55 or 60 miles an hour, and it caught up with us very quickly. Angie and I were both screaming. The radio tuning knob started turning back and forth on its own, scanning through stations and static. When the light caught us, it was so bright I had to squint not to be blinded. Connor, did anything else happen when the light caught up to you? Name redacted. The entire car shook. I thought the doors and windows would get ripped off. I'm not for sure, but I think the car lifted off the ground. It's like time froze for a second, and everything was in slow motion. I remember Angie gripping the steering wheel. Then the light got blinding, and we both covered our faces with our arms. Long pause noted. Name redacted. Then, I was sitting in the driver's seat. The passenger seat was empty. I yelled Angie's name, looking around outside of the car at the parking lot for the Nomad's Wood picnic area. I heard movement behind me. In the driver's side back seat, Angie was leaning her head against the window, eyes unblinking. I touched her arm, and she jumped. Blinking, like, I don't know, like she wasn't understanding what she was seeing. She said, where are we? Connor, you pulled into the parking lot to rest your eyes or calm down after the experience with the light? Name redacted. No. It felt like an instant. Slow motion, followed by the bright light. Then, I'm in the driver's seat. Angie's in the back seat, and the sun is coming up over the forest. That instant was at least eight hours. Connor. That's a large chunk of unaccounted for time. Name redacted. The only thing we know happened after the light swallowed us up is this. The interviewee raised her left arm, pulling up the sleeve of her t-shirt, revealing a small, triangle-shaped white scar just outside of her armpit. Name redacted. Angie has one, too, in the same spot. That's how they keep tabs on us. Experts in law enforcement are quick to explain away the ever-growing pile of UFO sightings. Possible explanations for the sightings include drug use, sleep deprivation, paranoia, swamp gas, weather balloon, Air Force test flight, solar flare, great blue heron migration, and a plain old hoax. We headed away from the swamp, east towards the densest area of trees in the woods. We're heading to the location with the most concentrated troll encounters and the, I'm sorry, trolls like the pink-haired things with the gemstones in their belly buttons, Lo asked. Connor gave a little shrug. Troll? Yes. Gem bellies? Afraid not. And the hellhole. Do I even want to know, said Ford using a long stick to sift through a pile of leaves on the forest floor. From the lack of hysterical screaming, it must have been snake-free. Probably not, Connor said. This is where we leave you this week. We will still be wandering through the woods next Tuesday when we all join back up together. Next week, we'll finish exploring Nomad's Wood and launch our broadest investigation yet. We'll meet you right back here on Tuesday wrap up. 
If you want to stay up to date with everything happening behind the scenes, you can stay connected with us on Facebook and Instagram. We're at Sleepless Suburbia Pod. We will be back next week with the completion of Case 124. Until then, thanks again for listening to Sleepless in Suburbia. One of the biggest compliments you can give us is to invite a friend or two to listen if you enjoy our cases. The more on these spooky adventures, the better. I'll leave you this week with lyrics from Anne Murray. If you go down in the woods today, you're sure of a big surprise. If you go down in the woods today, you better go in disguise.